What a, what a great honor to be here with you at Grace Covenant Church. There's so many stories and so much shared history. I look out and I even see people I officiated their weddings years ago. So, so much uh, to be thankful for and reminded again that there's one church in Austin, one church, pastored by many pastors, but one church together, and we rejoice in that. And also, I just have to tell you, I felt so led to the throne today by your worship leaders. Is, is it just amazing, these fellows, these musicians? Thank you so much. We really appreciate them. Well, I want to begin by telling you a story, and some of you will relate to this. Uh, others will not. It comes from my, uh, my youthful days uh, when my father owned a 1955 Buick Roadmaster. Anyone know that car? It's a great car. No seatbelts, but a great car. And uh, it was so far, so long ago that my little brother wasn't born. It was just my sister and I. And you know this part of the game, right? You're in the back seat, and there's an imaginary line between you and your sibling, right? If they cross it, whack with their face. Their arms come off. You cannot cross that line. Now, I do not understand why my dad did this, but we lived in Alaska, and we would go home to North Carolina to visit the, the, the grandparents, and we would drive. We would drive the Alaskan highway. That's just ridiculous. So my sister and I had to figure out games that would occupy us and uh, keep us content in the, back, in the back seat. Of course, we, we didn't have earphones. We had nothing. We were just bored to death in the back seat. So we learned to play this game called hide the penny. Hide the penny. And even though I'm three years older than my sister, she's much smarter than me. You know, it's like this 20-question deal. Well, is it on the right side of your arm, or is it like, is it under the seat? She would always get it like in four questions, and that's it. So I decided I was going to do one where she'd never guess it. She would never get it on the first two or three questions. So what did I do? I took the penny and stuck it in my mouth under my tongue. Now, I don't know what I was thinking because you talk weird when you have a penny in your mouth. And she says to me, is the penny in your mouth? And I said, why would you think that? And she goes, open your mouth right now. I want to see it. And when I opened my mouth, guess what happened? The penny went down my throat. I'm in the back seat of 1955 Buick Roadmaster, dying in the back seat. I'm suffocating to death, and my parents have no clue what's, what's going on. So, of course, we didn't have a seatbelt, so I lean up into the front seat and I go, Ooh. Dad gets it. He pulls the car over. There's something wrong with his throat. And my sister's going, he swallowed the penny, he swallowed the penny. So guess what they do? My dad almost tears the back door off, gets outside the car, and there's no Heimlich maneuver in the day. We have no idea what that is. So what does my dad do? He grabs me by the ankles. And he's, ahunga, ahunga, trying to get the penny to come out of my throat. Where's my mother? She's laying on the ground with her hand up my throat, 
Haunga, haunga. She's reaching up for the penny. Haunga. And finally, like it seemed like 10 minutes, but it was probably only like 45 seconds, the penny comes out. I was like that close to eternity. I mean, imagine the obituary. What a terrible obituary. Young boy in the back of a 55 Buick Roadmaster dies while playing hide the penny. It went down his throat, never to be found, nor was the young man ever to be found. He died. That's terrible. But I remember standing there on the side of the road, maybe the Alcan Highway. I can't even remember where it was. And here's what I did. I'm like maybe eight years old, nine years old. And I reached out to my father and to my mother, and I just began to weep as I held them close to me, thanking them for saving my life. You ever had a moment like that in your life where it was like touch or go, you were on the verge, and and someone stepped in and made it so that you're alive and well today. Anyone ever, ever had a moment like that? Did, did you just lose it in thankfulness and gratitude? Just say, I don't care what this looks like on the side of the road. I could care less. I'm going to stand here and weep and thank my saviors for what they've done to preserve my life. You know, Christianity is kind of like that too, you know. It's kind of like that for those of us who are believers. Because the truth is, I have forgotten that story, and I have to be reminded of that story. And sometimes I forget just what God's done for me as well. How about you? Well, today I'd like to take you to another psalm, Psalm 103, and talk about this important idea, compelling reasons to praise our great God. I want to remind you of things that you already know. And I want you to leave this place committed to doing what we agree to today. That God is worthy of our praise because of who he is and what he's done. And I want to remind you of that. So from Psalm 103, would you please stand with me in the tradition I bring. And let's read Psalm 103, a couple verses from it. Psalm 103, the first couple verses. Praise the Lord, O my soul, O my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Our Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would remind us of your greatness and remind us of what you have done for us, who you are, God, that causes that display of affection towards us. And how, God, it leads us to be grateful. We ask, God, that you'd open our hearts to hear your truth and be reminded of your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. 
Now, from this wonderful psalm, one of my favorite psalms in the entire Bible, I want to answer three questions today, and I want to give you those questions up front. They're found in your, your study notes in your bulletin as well. But the three questions are these. First of all, what has God done for us that inspires our praise and passion for him? Secondly, what is it in God's character that bestows these benefits to us? And third question is, what's the natural response that flows from God's creatures when we recognize who he is and what he has done for us? Now, I want to go to the first question and tell you so you don't get antsy and worry that you're going to be here till next week. I'm going to spend most of the time on answering the first question. And we'll get to the second and third question, and we'll go a little faster through those two. So here's the first question I want to answer. And um, I, I also know some of you hate fill in the blank. Uh, and especially you hate it if you miss a word. That's like the worst. So I will be sure to give you the words for those blanks. But here's, here's a couple reasons, six reasons I think we should, um, we should be inspired to praise God. Number one, we see that he forgives all our sins. Uh, look again at verse 3. This word forgives is literally the idea of not just the idea of forgiving our individual sins, but it's the idea of God forgiving our nature of sin, our the very core of sin in us that came as a result of Genesis 3 being born into the human race. Now, verses that kind of remind us of this great idea are some of these. Isaiah chapter 1 that says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they'll be like wool. Psalm 51, 7 when David has really uh, been convicted about his terrible sin, cleanse me with a hyssop and I'll be clean, he says. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And then that very famous uh, sentence in the New Testament, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. But there's a question that comes with this affirmation. And it's one perhaps you've even wrestled with in your own life. Does he really forgive all my sins? Does he really forgive my very nature to sin? Does he, in fact, forgive me? Well, I want to share it this way, the answer. There's a young lady I've known for a little bit. She's one-third my age, maybe less. And... Um, a couple years ago, she decided that she liked me. I don't know why, but she decided that she did. And she was coming to our church, and she said, I've been listening to some of the things you've been saying. Could we talk about that? Could I come to your office and we talk about it more? So she comes, and she tells me about her lifestyle, and um, a lifestyle that all of us in this room would say, that's not good. That's not the way a person 
should live. And, and she's struggling with that lifestyle and desirous to get out of it. She doesn't feel that she has the power to do so. After our first meeting, she says, can we continue to meet? And I go, sure. And next six months, she comes like once a month. And it's funny because what she does, when she comes into my office, unlike most, you know, more sophisticated kinds of people that come to see the pastor, she takes her shoes off and wraps her legs up in the chair, you know, and just makes herself at home. I just, I loved it. Well, about the sixth time, she says to me, you know, so Pastor Rob, since uh, there's so many things going on in my life right now, and since I became a Christian a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, things have just really changed. I said, whoa, 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 time out. Did you say since you became a Christian? Did you just say that? She goes, yeah. I said, you became a Christian? Well, yeah. I said, you're, you're kidding me. You didn't tell me that. She goes, oh, I didn't? I said, no, you didn't tell me that. And she goes on to say, well, yeah, two weeks I became a Christian. And she said, the thing that was so hard for me was to believe that God really forgave me of all my sins. Of all my sins. Well, the beauty is, uh, the rest of the story, I baptized her a couple weeks later. She married a young man in our church. Now, that was an interesting wedding because some of the people from her old lifestyle were there seeing with some of the church people. That, and they didn't know what each other did. That was pretty interesting. But there they were in the same space. And then I got a call from her this past week where she told me someone in her work world wanted to know about forgiveness of sin. And she told them and led them to Christ this past week. That's what happens when you believe that God really does forgive all your sins. The second thing we see here is that he heals all of our diseases. Now, this word heal in verse 3 means the act of restoration. It means to, to make whole or complete. And some of the key texts in the Bible are things like this, Exodus 15, 26. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all of His decrees, I will not bring on you any of these diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Jeremiah thirty seventeen says, But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now, I understand we have different viewpoints on this idea of healing. But let me tell you this story. Early on in my my ministry, I'm a young guy. I'm kind of ignorant. I have no clue on a lot of things. I'm in my young 30s, and I get this call from a family that says, hey, please come up to the hospital. Our, our, our relative is, is passing away. The doctor said, this is the end. Would you come and pray? <laughs> so I park in the clergy parking place. That's kind of a really kind of, that's a neat advantage sometimes. I park in the clergy, walk into the deal. I walk in the room. And here's this woman, this older woman, and she's hooked up to IVs and all that sort of thing, and, and she's out. She's in a coma. She's out. And I'm thinking to myself, how do I pray for her? Well, of course, you can do the safe prayer, right? Oh, God, we know you have the power to heal. And if it's your will, if you want to heal, um, but 
we just are whatever you want, God, and if, and if, and if she passes away in, these, in this next hour, help us to accept that. And, you know, you know the, that limp prayer. And you won't believe this. About five minutes after that terrible prayer of maybe, 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 she starts pulling out the IV thing. She wakes up, starts, she's grumpy. And in fact, I, I, I remember thinking to myself, probably they're not really happy that she was healed. I don't know, because she's a pretty grumpy lady. And, and she, she lived another 10 years. I mean, are you, thank you, Pastor, for your limp prayer. And I remember walking to my car into the parking lot I, look, I'm like 33 years old, something like that, and I remember thinking, God, you just healed her. You just healed her. Like I was shocked. I'm a pastor, but I was shocked that God healed her, raised her up. But on the other hand, I have a friend who was a charter member of this church, Grace Covenant, Dennis Sumback. He got pancreatic cancer. And he's no longer with us. He died just a year after learning that he had pancreatic cancer. And you know what? I prayed a bold prayer for him. So how are we to understand this? I, I want to give you just a couple of principles I think that are important. What do we make of this whole thought of he heals all our diseases? Well, here's principle number one. Everybody dies. Let's start there. Lazarus. Died twice, poor guy. I mean, I bet when he's on his deathbed, you know, some 10 years, 20 years later, I bet he's going, where's Jesus now? I mean, bless his heart. What person's ever died twice? I mean, he died twice. And that's because Genesis 3 says that the fall infected all of creation, including all of humanity. So everybody dies. No one here will beat death. So that's where we start. So second principle is the ultimate healing is in the life to come, glorification, where our bodies become immortal. The mortal becomes immortal. The perishable becomes imperishable because God glorifies us, justifies, sanctifies, but one day changes our bodies and we are glorified to remain in his presence forever. We get new bodies. So then the third principle is this, the greatest healing in this life then is what? Spiritual healing. It's being born again by the Spirit of God. That's so important. It's so important that if you're here today and you're not sure of your salvation, you need to understand the gospel. And simple, it's four, it's, I'll just say it in, in four sentences. The gospel is simply this. It is what was, Genesis 1 and 2, perfect creation, perfect people. But Genesis 3, then it becomes what is the fall of man. The third idea is what can be. That's when Jesus comes and says, whoever believes in me will never die permanently. You will raise up from the dead. And fourth, what will be. So that's the gospel. What was, what is, what can be, what will be, Revelation 22. That's the ultimate healing, to be transformed in your human spirit, to be born again by the Spirit of God, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, John 3. 
It's being changed. It's your dead spirit coming alive. That is the greatest healing in this life. Another principle I would say, and this is important. However, all that I've said, listen to this, physical healing is also possible. And God says we should pray for it. James chapter 5, if anyone's sick, let him call the elders, let them anoint him with oil. It says we should approach God and say, God, we, we want you to heal this person physically. We are called to ask. And as we all know, sometimes God intervenes. But here's the last thing I'll say about this healing. Write this down. All true healing comes from the power of God. And he's God. He does as he wishes. Now, the, the next idea that helps us really move our thoughts to praising God is this. He redeems our lives from the pit. Now, what does redeem mean? You understand the term. It means to buy back. It means that he delivers us from the darkest prison of shame. It's, it's like Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Does anyone here have that testimony? That you were in a, a slimy pit. You were living in the mud. You were covered and were aware of your sin. And in a moment, the Holy Spirit of God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, as you placed your faith in his finished work for you, raised you out of the mud, cleaned you off, and set your foot on the rock. Anyone testify of that? I do. I do. See, the problem is we are reluctant to say that because lots of us just kind of slid into it. You know, through Backyard Bible Club or Vacation Bible School or something like that. And a six-year-old usually doesn't say, I was filled with like mud in my life. But you know what? There are people in this room that need to be telling their story more and more about what it used to be like and what it's like now in Jesus. Because it is darkness to light. It is without hope in the world to complete hope. It, it, it is it is being under the judgment of God to be becoming set free to walk in newness of life. That's what it's about. That's what this means. And here's something I want to say to you. It's never too late. It's never too late for you to be washed up by God, redeemed from the inside out, cleaned up by His Spirit. It's never too late. You understand that. And I say that because there are people in this room that say, I'm not worthy of him. I've done too much wrong. I, I just kind of am going along with the ride. I don't believe that, that he really wants to place my feet on the rock. Well, listen, let me tell you a story. I'm reading through the Bible right now. And uh, some of you that are my Facebook friends know that I'm doing that. And the reason I'm posting on Facebook is because I'm not sure I'm going to read through again. I'm, I'm getting older now. I don't know if I want to make it through. 
And as I'm going through, I want you to go with me because there's so much good stuff in the Bible that's so obscure that we forget about, right? So I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to post on some of these crazy passages I haven't read in, in, in my whole life. I don't remember reading them. And, and so I'm going through, well, I come to this story of Manasseh. Do you guys know this fellow, Manasseh? His story is found in 1 Kings 21, 1 through 17. He is one of the worst kings. In, in fact, he's probably the worst king in all of Israel's history. He's terrible. He becomes king at 12. He reigns for 55 years, and he does the worst things imaginable. He, he puts Asherah poles in the Holy of Holies. He sacrifices to Baal. He erects monuments in all the high places in Israel. And the worst of all things, he takes his own son and sacrifices his own son in the fire to Baal. It's terrible. He is a bad guy for 55 years. And so God is looking at this and what he allows is the Assyrian king to come and imprison Manasseh, take him away in shackles and put a, a hook in his nose and lead him a, along by a hook in his nose. And this is nuts. The Bible says, in his distress, Manasseh sought the Lord. And the Lord heard him and forgave him. Wow. It's almost unfair. But that's what God wants someone in this room to hear. It's never too late to be redeemed. The next thing we see here is that he crowns us with love and compassion. He endows us or rewards us with royalty and honor. And the word here, anyone named Stephen here? Stephen or Stephanie? You know what your name means? It means crowned one. And it's the notion that's found in Psalms 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. And Stephanost, you, you crowned him with glory and honor. The fifth idea we see here that inspires our desire and passion to praise him he satisfies our desires with good things. This word satisfies is, is the idea of renewing to the point of absolute fulfillment. Matthew 6, kind of gets at it. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 7, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. You know what the problem is? We give up too easily. We think that God, once we become a Christian, wants us to live a, a sober, non-smiling kind of life quite often. We think those kinds of things. If we're really serious about the Lord, it will be no fun. Well, C.S. Lewis said it just the opposite way. He says we give up too soon and we don't understand what God has for us. He says, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition 
when infinite joy is offered us. We're like a, an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's a great quote. The final thing we see here in these first five verses is that he renews our youth like the eagles. This idea of renewal is to restore or to invigorate with new energy. And, and the, the, the picture he gives here, it's like an eagle, the, 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 the animal, the bird that's the, the signal and, and a symbol of strength and vigor. That's why I love Isaiah 40, 31. It's my life verse. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Isn't that a great verse? It's the idea of renewal. Years ago, when I first went to First Evangelical Free Church, now Austin Oaks, there was a lady there who was like 200 years old. Not really, but she was close. She was actually 96 years old. Her name was Elna Roselle. Listen to this. She and her husband were pioneer missionaries to the Belgian Congo in 1923. Is that cool? And they wrote a book called Bread Upon the Waters. And you've heard that story about the angels camping around the house of the missionaries. Have you heard that story? Like they come to, you know, take them out and, and they go, oh, you know, there were, we saw these, these people on your roof. That's in their book, Bread Upon the Waters. It's in their book. That's where, that's where it comes from. So every missions conference, and there weren't many because Elena was already old, I would always take the roving mic walk off the platform, and I would interview Elna. It was the greatest in the world. She'd tell stories from the 1920s about what it was like to be a missionary. I mean, it took them like six months to get to the field. They took boats, and, and they had German, you know, uh, gunships that would come and scare the daylights out of it. It was crazy world. And she would tell these stories. So, of course, when she went to the the care center, the retirement home, the nursing home, I made it my joy to go and visit her. And this is how it would go. I would be sitting there listening to her stories. She's telling me a story about praying for army ants to leave their missionary camp, and they went out one by one. She would tell me stories about healing. She would tell me stories about conversions. And about in the middle of it, she would go, Now, can you tell me who it is that I'm talking to again? <laughs> I go, Elna, it's Pastor Rob. Oh, yes, Pastor Rob. And she'd go on, just keep going. But she'd forget who she was talking to. It's great. And this is how it always ends. She would say, well, Pastor Rob, let me have your hand. And I'd give her my hand. And she would, she would say this. Well, my eyes can hardly see you, and my ears can hardly hear you, but I can pray for you. 
And she would pray for me every single time. That's what it means to have your energy renewed like the eagle, no matter how old you are. And don't you want that? Absolutely. So these are pretty good reasons that inspire our praise for God. But now there's a second and third question, and we go very rapidly. Second question is, all right then, these are wonderful displays of God's kindness towards us, but, but what is it in the character of God that bestows these blessings to us. Are you ready for it? Write it down. It is God's love. That's what it is. God's love is the reason these benefits come our way. He loves us so much. Now, when we look at God's love, it's described for us here in many ways, verses 6 through 18. And let me just walk through it very quickly with you. What does this love look like? Well, first, fill in the blank, it is an active love. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Secondly, it is a revealed love. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Third, it is a gracious love. Verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Fourth, it is a forgiving love. Verse 9 says, He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Fifth, it is a boundless love. Verse 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Sixth, it's an intimate love. Verse 13, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on all those who fear Him, for He knows how we're formed, he remembers that we are dust. Seventh, it's a, an everlasting love. Verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant, remember to obey his precepts. And finally, number eight, it is a sovereign love. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Let me just say it again because I know you hate unfilled blanks. It's an active love, revealed love, gracious love, forgiving love, boundless love, intimate love, everlasting love and a sovereign love. Now, that's just a list. Let me tell a story that makes it live. Long ago, there was a prophet named Hosea. And the Lord said, I want you, Hosea, to learn a lesson from me about my love. So I want you to go and marry a woman named Gomer. 
That's the first lesson in love, marrying a woman named Gomer. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd do that. What's your wife's name? Well, Gomer. <laughs> I hope no one's named Gomer here, actually. <laughs> At least I hope no women here are named Gomer. <laughs> so he says, okay, Lord, I'll go do it. He marries Gomer. But pretty soon after he marries her, she makes a terrible decision to leave Hosea, the prophet of God, and move into the temple, the pagan temple, and do service there as an expression of her worship. So she has relations with hundreds, maybe thousands, of pagan worshipers as part of the weird worship that culture did. So here's Hosea. He's over at home. He's thinking, what is Gomer doing today? And he knows what Gomer's up to. She's humiliating herself and the prophet's family, bringing shame on God. She's prostituting herself with pagan men. And then one day, God says to Hosea, Hosea, remember that lesson I want to teach you about my love? I want you to leave your house, go over to that pagan temple, and bring Gomer back home. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to redeem her, ransom her, pay a price to get her to come home with you. How many of you all are saying, I didn't used to believe in divorce. <laughs> I'm not doing this. But God says, the reason I'm asking you to do this, Hosea, is to teach you a lesson about my love. Because Hosea, you are Gomer. And so are all your people. Everyone goes astray. Everyone's in bondage. Everyone's tied up by their sin. And this is what I have done, Hosea. I paid a price to bring you back to me. And that's what he's saying to us here. That's how much he loves us. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, he has paid the price in the sacrifice of his one and only son to say, to shout, to proclaim, I want you. Come home. One last question that we have here, and it's this. That said then, what is the natural response that flows from God's creatures when we recognize who He is and what He's done for us? Look at verses 20 through 22. Here's the answer. Are you ready? Write it down. Praise, 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 praise. That's what comes naturally. Praise naturally flows from his mighty, obedient messengers, his archangels, verse 20. Praise naturally flows from his ministering servants, his heavenly host of angels, verse 21. Praise naturally flows from all the works of his creation, verse 22. And praise should naturally flow from the objects of his affection, we his children, verse 22, Praise the Lord, O 
my soul. I think we should sing. Would you stand to your feet and sing this with me? It's only natural and right. You ready? The doxology. Praise God from whom? Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly. Now sing it out. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Our Father, we praise you. We thank you. You're so good to us. You've shown yourself so glorious. You've, you've done so much for us because of your great love. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, after he had penned Romans chapters 1 through 11, he gets to the end and just cannot hold himself back. He says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of you, Lord? Or who has been your counselor? Who has ever given to you that you should repay him? From you, O God, and through you, O God, and to you, O God, are all things. To you be glory forever. Amen.